You're listening to the Manchester Vineyard Podcast. We'd love for you to join us. To discover more about who we are, where we meet, and how you can connect with us, head to manchestervineyard.org or follow the link in the podcast description. Today, as you, as you know, this is our 100th gathering. What, what a journey we're on. Um, it's, it's amazing to see how God has moved among us, how kind he's been along the way. Last week we looked at Ephesians uh, chapter 1 and verse 16 said this. Let me just recap some of what we read. It said, I have not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope He has given those he has called his holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. And and we we looked at that last week, so I don't want to spend too much time this week. But as we celebrate and mark this moment together and and remember and reflect and look back and anticipate what what is ahead, I just wanted to say exactly that. I I have not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly, asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he's given those he called his holy people, who are his rich and glorious inheritance. Can I just start by saying thank you, thank you, thank you, but also thank you Jesus. To God be the glory, great things he's done, and we stand together in expectation and anticipation of of what's ahead. I I feel like for some of you today is almost a, a moment in time. You might have only just joined us today, but today is a moment in time where you might just want to reflect on your part and your your moment in the journey that we're on and say, hang on, I'm in. I want to be part of what God is doing here. The, the series we started last week, um, I called Keeping On. I, I believe it helps to speak in series. We're a people who are on a journey together, the people of God on a journey together. And uh, so I'd encourage you, if you mass- missed last week, catch up on it, watch it online, catch up on the, the podcast. This week will make more sense in the light of last week. That said, if you're joining us this morning for the first time, please don't feel like you're missing out. But let me start this morning by just saying to you that I know and I believe in Jesus. Everyone's like, phew, that's a, that is a good start for, for this morning. But um, Jesus paid a price for you. And I know many of you know that. And I know many of you do know or have come to know Jesus. Now, please don't feel excluded by this if you don't. We long and we love to create environments where people can come and explore freely and um, without feeling any pressure who, who Jesus is. But for a lot of you, this is, this is kind of you. And I just want to give you an example of, of how you might feel. Can I just compare you with this box, okay? And uh, that might feel a bit awkward to compare you to a box, but let's just say this box is you. And I thought about this. I want to say this box is me, but there's a lot more of you than there is me, so I'm going to call it you, but it kind of means the same thing, if you see what I mean. But um, 
Does that make sense? I think it does. Well, just for the sake of this, I'm just going to write you on this box, if I can spell you, gosh. It's not that hard. Maybe it is. Okay, so you, hopefully you get it. You're represented by this box. Now, what, I've, what I kind of also want to do is, if I ever just write on this box, sin, okay? Feels a bit old school, but we're going there, practical demonstrations. Okay. Now, what I, I, what I think kind of happens is this, this is kind of how it is. Okay, I don't know if you can see that, but you're in sin. And when you look at you, what you kind of see is sin. Okay, I don't know if that makes sense, but when I look at you, which could be me, what I'm seeing more than I'm seeing of me is sin. Does that, does that kind of make sense? So I think that's how you, you see yourselves, that you're, you, you could say you're a sinner saved by grace, okay? I think the, the Bible says that, I'm on safe ground. I was brought up believing that, that I'm a sinner saved by grace. Now, you, you, you have, you would say you have received freedom. You were bought at a price by Jesus. He, he sets you free, but the bit that, by looking at that, the bit that stands out is sin, Okay, because I see more of sin than I kind of see of you. Romans 3.23 says this. It says, for everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God, with undeserved kindness, declares that we are all righteous. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. So I'm, I'm your we. We're sinners saved by grace. You've received that freedom that Jesus bought for you. But I don't know if, like me, the kind of the bit that really is standing out when I look at it like that is sin. And so I don't know if you've ever felt like that. Here's all the ways in my life I've fallen short. Here's all the ways that I've just stuffed up. I'm, I'm not, I can't, I keep screwing it up. I'm a sinner. And then the, the kind of wait a minute, little pause, the subtext, small font, we get there eventually, saved by grace. I'm a sinner saved by grace. But what's screaming out to me is sinner, sinner, sinner. In fact, I don't want to keep doing this to make the point, but I can hardly see myself. I can hardly see you because what I'm currently seeing, top, bottom, side, whichever way we look at it, is sinner, sinner, sinner. So your, your main identity becomes sinner rather than saved by grace. Now, People don't say that because they want you to see the grace within them. They say that because the overarching theme in their life is, I'm a sinner. And I'm kind of, excuse the pun, but I'm kind of boxed in by being a sinner. Now, I'm not trying to reverse what the Bible says. For all of you who are like, well, where are we going here? I'm not trying to undo what the Bible says. The, the Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Comma, but thanks be to Jesus Christ our Lord. Thank goodness for that comma. I'm not saying that's untrue. What I want to say today is to help us understand what's happened to the sin bit, because I think it changes everything. So as we talk today about keeping on, I want to talk about being fully alive. Keep on being fully alive. But to be fully alive, we've kind of got to understand how and why we're fully alive. You are fully alive. 
you are fully alive if you're sorry you can't be fully alive if your main perception of yourself is that you are just a sinner because if we do we're just sinners we're sinners that are sinners that are sinners and we almost kind of have to verify the fact that we're sinners by sinning and so um I'm, I'm not waiting till I get to heaven for that perception to change. I believe our mentality should change now because our standing in Jesus has changed now. God knows your name. You are a saint. You are holy. You are transformed by the grace of God in and through Jesus Christ. What God does is he, he comes along and he smashes open that box and he takes you out of sin. You are no longer living in sin. And I kind of wanted to practically demonstrate that so that you could almost see it. And everything, as a result, has changed. Not only does he take you out of sin, but the Bible says that he puts Jesus in you. So not only are you, you now trapped in sin, you're out of sin, Jesus is in you. So you'd be surprised if I didn't do it. I've kind of got to do it now. Let's just, let's just put Jesus in you. Big pen, small box, got to write Jesus small. Okay, here we go. Now this is going to get fiddly, but... Yes, it did work. Colossians 1.27, For God wanted them to know that the riches of the glory of Christ are for you Gentiles too. And this is the secret. Christ lives in you. This gives you assurance of sharing his glory. Christ in you, Jesus in you, the hope of glory. You're a new creation, no more in condemnation. There's a, there's a new identity. There is a, there's a new you. The Son of God, Jesus, is in you. So you're new. Jesus is now in you. That is a radically different way of looking at you compared to where you are. Now, I don't want to push the illustration too far, but if I look at you now, what do you see? Well, I, I, I do see you, but also actually I can see Jesus in you. And if I move that around and look at it different ways, I, I still see you, but I'm, I'm seeing Jesus as well. It's kind of like Jesus, you. So, so when God looks at you now, what does he see? Well, he, he does see you, but actually he sees Jesus in you. And he actually, he kind of, sees Jesus. Now, not only is that true, but actually it goes a little bit further because the Bible says not only is Jesus in you, but you're in Jesus. So not wanting to go too far, but let's just go a little bit further with this. So hold on. Jesus. I'm not going to write it on all sides, but it would help if I did, but we're not going to have time. But let's just drop you into Jesus, and Jesus is already in you. So now this could get complicated, but what, what, what do you see when you now see? Hold on a minute, I should have written it on all sides. That would have actually worked slightly better for the point. But what I see now when I see you is actually I see Jesus, but I also see you, but kind of Jesus. So I'm seeing you, Jesus, you, Jesus, Jesus, you. Who am I really seeing? I think maybe I'm just seeing Jesus. We could go to loads of places in the Bible to look at that. John 15 says, remain in me and I remain in you, for a branch cannot produce fruit if it 
is severed from the vine and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them produce much fruit. So what does it look like? It kind of looks like that. It's kind of Jesus in you, you in Jesus. Who are we really seeing here? Because I'm seeing more of Jesus than I'm seeing of you. So your whole standing, your whole position, your whole identity has completely shifted from who we were and where we started. And in fact, actually the Bible would say you're sealed in that through the Holy Spirit. Now, let's just take it these boxes are sealed. We could do this and it would go on forever. I could seal that to say, do you know what? You are sealed in Jesus and Jesus in you. I'm not actually going to do that because it will take a while. But there's still sin going on. There's still sin in your mind, in the process of your thinking. There's still this stuff that's going on. But Jesus is changing it. And he's changing it all. And he does that by putting himself in you and actually you in him. So do you kind of see how now he sees you? Because it's very different to how you might be seeing yourself. We now see you, but the main thing is actually... We see Jesus, but then there's you, but hang on, no, there's Jesus. Because Jesus is in you and you are in Jesus. Now, let's just go one step further. I don't want to confuse you with boxes here, but Colossians 3.3 says this, for you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. So you died... And your life is hidden with Christ in God. Now, that's the Trinity. Well, let's talk about that another week because we're going to have boxes all over the place and it's going to get very confusing and it's not going to be particularly easy to share. But let's just do this one. Let's just move this out of the way. And let's get this one here. And let's remember to write on it on the right side. But we've got God here. And just for the sake of it, let's put God on here. Right, so, and let's seal it because we're kind of sealed in this thing. Now, what, what, do, you, what do you see now? Well, I kind of see God and Jesus, and I can just about make out you. But when I actually really look at you, what I'm really seeing is Jesus. kind of amazing, isn't it? I'm like, wow. I'm, I'm not seeing myself that way anymore. I'm seeing myself this way. So when I start to think, well, how does, how does God see me and therefore what identity do I have? Well, when he sees me, what he sees is Jesus. And if I look a bit harder at that, in me is Jesus and I'm no longer trapped or locked in sin because you're in Jesus and Jesus is God and God is we can go on. You know, sometimes when I, when I say, and I've said this a number of times, I'm not who I was. In fact, who I was, you wouldn't even recognize me because Jesus has changed me so much. That's what I mean. A, a few boxes doesn't quite do this, but I hope you kind of see what I mean. Now, in the context of saying all of that, with, with that thinking and that understanding... Can I just read to you the passage that we're going to look at today in Ephesians 2? We're spending a few weeks 
looking at keeping on, basing it around the book of Ephesians. And I'd encourage you, read Ephesians if you haven't already. We're, we're going to stay in it for a few weeks, but today we're dipping in at chapter 2. Let me, let me start in verse 1. It says this, Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inc inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. Once you were dead. It starts by saying, once you were dead, because of your disobedience. People, people say to me, I don't need Jesus because I'm not a bad person. In fact, I'm a good person. And I'm, I'm a good person. Honestly, I eat my five a day, you know, and I, I don't see my five a day to include bacon like you do. I'm not actually that bad a person. And I've never really stolen anything. You know, maybe the odd penny sweet when I was at school and Penny sweet's not even a penny sweet anymore, it's like 10p, but that's not the point. I'm not a, people would say I'm not a bad person. You say I'm not a bad person. In fact, actually, I'm, I'm quite a, I'm all right. I'm a good person. Well, it's not really about being good or bad. It's about being dead or alive. Jesus didn't need to die just because maybe you were good or bad. Jesus needed to die because you were dead and he had the keys to life. Once you were dead because of your disobedience on your many sins, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers of the unseen world. His spirit is at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's, that's kind of how it used to be. Verse 4, we read on. But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much, that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by grace, only by God's grace that you've been saved, for he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated him in the heavenly realms so that we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness towards us as shown in all he's done for us who are united with Christ. God saved you by grace when you believed and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Isn't that amazing? It goes on, it says, verse 10, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ. We're in him and he's in us. We are new. We are not who we were. For we are God's masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things that he planned for us to do long ago. So that we can do the good things that he planned for us to do long ago. You're a new person, and now you're fully alive in Jesus. And actually, you can start to live out the purposes of God in your life. Everything has changed. 
you are not that, you are this. When, when I see you, I see Jesus. When God sees you, what does he see? He sees Jesus and he sees you, but he actually then keeps looking and he sees Jesus. You, you aren't you anymore. You're like him you. If that even, it sounds more like emu. I'm not trying to compare us to an ostrich, but I think you know, you know what I mean. In fact, verse 11 of chapter 1, we looked at this last week. Let's just jump back. It says, furthermore, because we're united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God, for he chose us in advance and he makes everything work out according to his plan. What I'm trying to say is exactly that. We are united in Christ Jesus. You're, you're not in the sin box anymore. You are becoming fully alive because of Jesus. Everything's changed. And our realization and our understanding of that changes completely who we are. We can now live fully alive. You don't, you don't buy a car and not drive it. We, you, we've got to be people that engage with what is happening. Keep on keeping on. Keep on becoming alive and realizing who you are and who he sees you to be. Keep on pursuing it. We come in brokenness, weakness, and vulnerability. But in him and because of him, we're alive already, but we're, coming, we're becoming alive as we start to understand it. Chapter 2, verse 8 and 9 says this, God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this, for it's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done, so none of us can boast about it. It's grace. It's not you, it's him. Some, sometimes you might think you have to earn it. Have you, have you ever found that? It becomes like a perfectionism thing. I need to measure up. I need to meet the standard that is required of me. I need to meet and follow a few rituals and do a few certain things. It's, it's not that. It's grace. When, when someone gives you a present, like, I don't know, a Christmas present, whatever it might be, you, you don't turn around and say, hey, great present, but can I, can I pay for it? Or could I do some work for you to offset the cost that you've paid to give that? To me, you, you don't do that. It's a gift. You don't, you don't have to earn it. You, you don't, and you can't buy it because it's a gift. But equally, when you realize the significance and the value of the gift, you don't go, oh, nice one. And that's just the end of it. It changes your response. It changes how you interact with what you've just been given. Now, the illustration doesn't really fully carry weight for the magnitude of what I'm trying to say. But Jesus has given his life to bring you to life. And it changes everything going forward when we understand that. Every act, every response that we might have. When we give our lives to Jesus, it's through God's unmerited grace, unmerited favour. It's not the result of our effort, our ability, our intellectual choice, or our anything we do, or any act of service on our part. However, out of gratitude for this free gift that's cost him everything to give, surely... That changes how we act and respond, and we'd want to help others and serve others with kindness and love and gentleness and not merely be people who want to please ourselves. We now want to please Jesus. While no work or action that we could do could help us obtain that free gift of salvation, 
what do I mean by salvation? Salvation really is just coming out of the sin box. That's, that's what it means. Salvation is just the freedom from sin. God's intention is that our salvation will result, or our understanding of our salvation will result in us doing the stuff that he's called us to do. So verse 10 says he's created us anew in Jesus so that we can do the things that he planned for us to do long ago. We're not saved merely for our own benefit, but to serve Jesus, to build and invest in his church, to impact the city and to do his bidding here on earth. He's not just called you out of something, he's called you into something. What's he called you into? Well, he's put him in you and you in him. So you're no, no longer dead, you're alive and you have purpose, you have a mandate, you have vision, you have calling, you have direction, you are restored. You're not who you were, you're who he's creating you to be. In fact, when I look at you or me, whoever it is, I, I don't even recognize you anymore because I can hardly see you. What I'm now seeing is Jesus, the old you, has gone. So it's faith alone through grace alone in Christ alone. Let's, let's just move on a little bit now. I'll just quickly recap what I've said. What I've really said is we were dead, but now we can be alive through grace alone in Jesus alone. You're alive. The old has gone. The new has come. You can't live with the mindset you used to live when you start to see yourself how he sees you because he's called you out of darkness into his glorious light. It's, it's a new birth. But let's, let's just move on a little bit. Let's read on verse 11. Don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. You were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews who were proud of their circumcision, even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. In those days, you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel, and you did not know the covenant promises God had made to them. You lived in this world and without God and without hope. But now you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. We, when I read that, what I think is we can't get caught up in the routine of living. Have you ever, have you ever done that where life just becomes a routine? Your faith just becomes a routine. You know, I, re I remember when I was younger... I'd go to my grandma and granddad's and about four o'clock each day you'd hear this clatter of the letterbox and um, something came through and they had one of those letterboxes, you know the ones where it's like it's louder than the doorbell, you just, you know something's happening and every time, four o'clock virtually every day during the week, my grandma and granddad would both be like, who's that? And um, there's this, like, great surprise. They've been hugely startled. I mean, who on earth could that be? And it's like, it's, it's I don't want to patronise my grandma and granddad, but I'm like, it's, it's four o'clock. kind of happened yesterday. It's Barbara. Barbara lived next door, and Barbara and Ken actually lived next door, and they'd bring the newspaper around. And um, they shared a newspaper with my grandma and granddad to save, like, I don't know, 50p a pound a week. Um, rather than buying their own paper, they sharing it, and um, it's like, who's that? Well, it's, it's, it's Barbara, granddad. It was yesterday. It's the paper. And we know what it's going to be like because the paper's going to be in a jumbled up order because Ken wanted to read the sport and Barbara wanted to read something else, and you're sharing a paper and they 
also messed it up. Now, it's funny how old habits die hard because my mum still does it now with her neighbour, and I'm like, come on, we've got to move on here, guys. But um, anyway, who's, who's that? Well, Grandad, it's half seven on a Friday night. We know who it is at the door. It's Derek who does the football pools. He's collecting the money. Grandad, you spend the whole of Saturday evening listening to your radio, listening to the football results to work out if you've won a few quid on the football pools. More importantly, my brother and I have to endure it every Saturday. Atkinson, Stanley, four, Scunthorpe United, two. You ever sat and listened to someone listening to all of that? It's like, please, come on. It's Derek, Grandad. He comes every Friday. What do, what do you mean, who's that? Now, every now and again, you would get a knock at the door, which was somebody rattling the letterbox because they didn't have a doorbell because you don't need one. But you could still guess who it was, even if you weren't actually sure. It'd normally be the one that could catch you out, but it didn't need to because you'd know the routine was on a Tuesday, mid to late morning, and it's like Betty from... A great name for somebody who does the Betterware collection. It was Betty. She would be trying to sell my grandma and granddad more Tupperware. My grandma just bought it, so she'd turn up fortnightly to flog it. So she would love this talk with all these boxes and whatever. But anyway, if it wasn't Derek, Betty, or Barbara, there was one that did nearly catch us out, but it almost became such a routine that you knew who it was. They used to live opposite a bus stop, and because they were in the north of England, people would feel that it's okay to come and knock your door and ask you for the bus timetable. Which is like, that is cheeky, but pre-mobile phones, hey. But anyway, the point, the point, don't panic, there is a point. The, point. the point is, people say to me, well, God is boring. God is lifeless. This whole thing is just routine. You know exactly what is coming. It is the same old, same old, predictable way it always happens. It's just rules, regulations, and therefore, do you know what? I'm out, and I'm not even going to come consider it. Well, I'd, I'd say for the people around us, it's only lifeless if we are lifeless. It, it's only lifeless if we're still living dead. Because then what they see is a lifeless faith. And I'm, I'm not saying sometimes it isn't hard. I'm not saying that we don't go through seasons where it's left foot, right foot, keep going. Head down keep on keeping on. I'm not in any way trying to dismiss that. But in verse 12, it says, in those days you were living apart from Christ, you were excluded from citizenship and among the people of Israel, you did not know the covenant promises God had made to them. You lived in this world and without God and without hope. If you know God, there is hope. And not only hope, you go from being dead to coming alive. That's how it was. This is how it is, and this is how it needs to be. We are alive in Jesus. We are united with Jesus as a result of Jesus living in us and us in him. We're close to God. We have and we carry hope. Verse 14, for Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people, when he's in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of the law and its commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people 
from the two groups. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross, and our hostility towards each other was put to death. He brought this good news of the peace to you Gentiles who were far away from him, and peace to the Jews who were near. Now all of us, now all of us, can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. In his body on the cross, what Jesus did was he smashed open that box and he gives you the opportunity for this one. Now, I know which I choose. Verse 18, now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ Jesus has done for us. Now, if, if, if you're... If, if you now feel yourself thinking, can you feel yourself thinking? Maybe, anyway, don't worry about that. If, if you're thinking, well, I can't, and here's all the reasons that you would lift off, li list off why you can't now come to Jesus. What I just read, and what I kind of make sense of this passage is, all of us can come to the Father because of Jesus. Not because of me, not because of you. Not because of what we do or how we do it or whether or not we can even attain to it, but because of Jesus. Because God doesn't see me, he sees Jesus. He sees me in Jesus and Jesus in me. Now, I don't want to lose you by going in a complete different direction here, but I just want to have a brief conversation about grace and law, if we can. We could spend a few weeks on this alone, and that's not really what we fully have time for. But I think it's helpful just to have a quick chat about it because in his death and resurrection, Jesus annulled the law. He made the law ineffective. Now, the law became ineffective because of its inability to make people right with God. The demands of the law were intended to make people see their inability to be good enough apart from Jesus. You can read all about that in, in the book of Romans. No one could perfectly keep the law with its commandments and demands. So Jesus has abolished the law by completely fulfilling it. Now that's sort of where this is going in verse 14. It says he united Jesus, sorry, he united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of the law with its commandments and regulations. Now, the law is still helpful because it points us to grace. What do, what do I mean? Well, I say to my daughter stuff quite regularly, like, don't touch the oven because it's hot. Now, I don't, I don't say that because I'm trying to be mean. I don't say that because I'm trying to come up with mean things to stop her doing things that she would like to do. I say it because I love her and I don't want her to get hurt. So the rule of don't touch the oven, if we could even call it a rule... As an example, I hope helps you understand what I'm trying to say. But the, the, the point is that the rule doesn't point to the rule. The rule points to the fact that I'm just trying to love her and I'm trying to help her. Because the rule isn't a gateway to our relationship. The rule is a confirmation of our relationship. I love you so much that I'm going to guide you in the best way to live and the best way to be free and most fully alive. The announcement that Jesus 
is the end of the law for the righteousness of everyone who believes, is how the Bible says it. That is amazing news. It means that you are no longer under condemnation because you've been set free from the law of sin and death. Now, to the Gentiles, that means even more than that. It means I can be part of the people of God on an equal footing with the Jewish people. In short, the end of the law means that there can be righteousness. There can be right standing with God. No more separation from God for everyone who believes. The law isn't finished. The law is just actually fulfilled. Now, Jesus is the purpose of the law. He's the explanation and the goal. The law, exposing sin for what it is, points forward to Jesus as the only way that the law can be kept. And Jesus fulfilled the law so perfectly that all who are in Jesus or have Jesus in them, which is kind of one and the same thing, have fulfilled it. Now, why does that matter? Some of you are like, gosh, I thought the boxes were complicated. Where are we going with this whole grace law thing? And now I'm really lost. Well, in relation to what I'm talking about today, it's, it's kind of this. I think what the enemy tries to do is he tries to keep you in the mindset of, you failed. You have failed. You have stuffed up again. You cannot measure up to everything that God would want you to be. You are never going to be anything more than trapped in that box. You're just reminded of the law and how you can't get any closer to keeping its demands and fulfillments. And you end up in the mindset of you like you just do wrong and wrong and wrong and keep doing wrong because you're still doing wrong. And what he does then is he tricks you into feeling separate from Jesus. Now we don't need to throw the law out of the window. We just need to realize that everything has changed. You are free. And you have the power to live free from sin and slavery. Because now, if you see yourself as I think he wants us to see us, you're a different person. You're free from that because you're this and Jesus is in you and you're in Jesus. You were dead, but now actually you're alive. So verse 19, it says, So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together we are his house built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. Wow, because we've gone from that to this, our whole identity has completely changed. He lives in us, and he shows himself to a watching world through us. Because if the world now looks at you, what do they see? Well, they kind of see God and Jesus, 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 more than actually they see you because of how much you've changed. I'm alive because he makes me alive. Because his spirit is living in me. You almost can't not be alive because it's no longer you that is living. It's him that is living in and through you. So over a period of time, as we get that and we live in that and we walk that out and we're changed more into our identity and likeness, you get to the point where you say, well, you wouldn't even recognize who I was because I've completely changed. Because people now don't see you. What they really see is Jesus. 
you are alive and you can bring others alive and this city to life because when people start to see you, what they really see is Jesus rather than you. In a nutshell, what I really want to say today is you can live fully alive. You're alive. Don't see yourself as that. See yourself as this because that's how God sees you and surely that's the one that we want to be seen by and approved by and speak our identity over us by. Why don't we stand together? Thanks for listening. To find out more, head to manchestervineyard.org or follow the link in the podcast description.